The sound you just heard was the sound of two bottles of Anchor, Anchor Steam. Is it just called Anchor now? Uh, yeah, I think they just call it Anchor now, but Anchor Steam is, yeah. It's beer. Beer. We, we clinked our beers, and you know what that means. It means we, you can't do that from 2,000 miles away. Or 3,000 miles away, which is how far we usually are. You can't do it from 4,000 miles away either, <laughs> for that matter. We're, it's Jokerman in the flesh. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And we're here in beautiful San Francisco, Frisco, California. The city by the bay. The city that never sleeps. This is the first time we have ever recorded the podcast indoors um, and together. Together, yes. Longtime listeners will recall the disastrous Desire episodes from last summer. Attempted in a, uh, a it was like rapidly the, darkening Prospect Park. Loudest day I've ever been at a park. Yes. It's like people playing really loud music. It was um, windy. It was, it was awful. And the bugs. Yeah. Uh, but... On, and if you're being generous, it was atmospheric. Yes. I to, think it was appropriate for desire in general. You know, yeah. Sort of a, you know, sort of a woodsy kind of vibey experience to record right. on that episode. It's but Jokerman podcast. Did I say that already? Uh, I forget. Presumably, the people listening are aware of that by now. Jokerman podcast. Jokerman podcast. Uh, this is technically our 100th episode, although it's not going to be our 100th episode spectacular, uh, which I know everyone's very excited for. Uh, we are going to kind of do a, a brief little check-in here, following up on our two-part episode with Stephen Hyden a couple weeks ago, where we run through mine and Evan's. Top ten uh, albums uh, individually. Yeah, because with of course the Stephen Hyden episode, that was his opinions and what he believes. Yes. And then this is about what what Ian and I both believe to be true, and also what together the Jokerman consensus would be. Would be absolutely yes. We realized that we neglected to really talk too much about our rankings, and after seeing. The stirring reception that everyone gave our one-star playlist uh, on Instagram the other day. Everyone had quite a few thoughts on things that were and were not included on that. We figured it was a good idea to check in with a little bit of this and, uh, and, and start up some more conversation in the Jokerman fan community. Yeah. What, is the, what are the best ones, the top ten albums? The top ten albums, exactly. So we will be doing the 100, uh, 100th episode spectacular shortly next next time on Jokerman Podcast, but we needed to just put together a little quick check-in here in person in the flesh because we can't do three hours uh, on that right now, which is what it's going to be. Should we uh, should we blow on the old harp over here? Be, please, do it. All right. Happening live in the flesh. Good. That sounded nice. I'm getting better at this. What um, how are we gonna do this? Well, let's just trade back and forth. Uh, we'll we'll do reverse countdown so that we don't give the game away here at the beginning. We'll go ten. Number 10, one. Nine, nine. <laughs> uh, it's number one is not hard to guess. Although we do have different number ones. Um, yeah. and and it gets crazy when you get down to the, what's number two, what's number three. Well, everyone's familiar with what's number two for you. Uh, but yeah, we'll start with number 10, and then uh, just kind of trade back and forth. That sound all right? Yes. Okay. Take it away. Number 10. Number 10 for me, Nashville Skyline. Nashville Skyline. Wow. Yeah. Severely underrated on your list, as far as I'm concerned. It's in the top 10. <laughs> it actually kicks off my top 10. Uh, well, it's... Um, I feel like it's a good place for it, because when you're talking about the top 10... What are you talking about? You you want to talk about uh, stuff that is great, and maybe toward the bottom end of that, it's not stuff that is um, like gonna gonna move the world, right? Uh, you know, change your life. Well, but I don't know. I don't honestly. All of these are life changing albums. Yeah, that's what I want to say. I and I want to say that Nashville Skyline is a life changing album that I think I've found as my life changes. I change and learn to like it more and more. That's how I want to frame that. Sure. I, I, I grow up uh, every day. I become wiser. I become uh, more 
happy to hear music that isn't like uh, depressing. <laughs> it's like when you get older and you realize that uh, what everybody was like talking about, you know, like, oh, I want to move somewhere for the weather, like old, old Jews moving to Florida. Florida, the snowbirds. It's totally uh, real. It's a real thing. It is you start thing. to appreciate Absolutely. sunny days as you get older. And this album is like a beautiful sunny day that you can just put on. So that's what I think about Nashville Skyline. Just put it on. Absolutely. Nashville Skyline will be making an appearance a little later in my list, so I'm going to save my thoughts until then. Uh, but yes, I do agree that it is a great Bob Dylan record. My number 10 is one that doesn't appear in your top 10. Oh, I think I can probably guess what it is. Well, you can see it on the page right in front of you. Oh, yeah, I can. Street Legal. It's Street Legal. What a great album. It's one that... Uh, Gee, I mean, it's not on my top ten, but it's not... You've been digging Senor but I've recently. Been, I've been really getting into Senor, and I've been liking Senor. to listen to Street Legal a lot lately, actually. So it's kind of an oversight. Look, you know how this works. It's not always going to be a perfect list. One day, a top ten might be a little different, but... That is a disclaimer we should mention. These are top ten lists as of this particular moment in time. And also top ten in terms of... Maybe we need to. We feel like we need to make some statement inclusions yes. because what is our podcast if if we're not trying to shift the Overton window, shift the discourse a little bit to certain records that we might feel are underappreciated? Yes, we're shifting the Overton window from 1966 towards 2001. And what the better way to do that than to include? Street legal. Street legal, which is really an album that doesn't have a well. It has one. It has one. It has a one blemish on it. New Pony. New uh, Pony is a highly erotic song. It is very erotic. It's it's funny. I like to listen to it when it comes on. Having it at number two on the record also, in between Changing of the Guards. How much longer? <laughs> and No Time to Think is a real statement, I think, on Bob's part. It also sounds completely unlike anything else on that record. Um, it's sort of just like a big, ugly. I don't even hate finger. it that much, but it is it is a a mean song in that it's a song all about like how he's um, his, he's just rubbing his it, old rubbing wife his, is a horse and is also the devil, and now he has a new, a new horse that he's fucking who is really beautiful and more beautiful than his old wife who is a horse and the devil. Yeah, it's a it's like uh, Equus. Isn't that that play? About that is, the, yeah, yeah, where Daniel uh, Radcliffe fucks the horse. He he was in a production of it. I see. Oh, yeah, I, that was the extent of. I, I'm not the thespian of the two of us, so you're more aware of those kind of things. The nude horse relationship one. Yes, uh, it's a great record, and I think that it is one that is ripe for reevaluation and further exploration in bootleg series uh, in the future. It hasn't really had any sort of attention paid to it quite yet, so. From the bootleg series, materially. Yeah. So I really hope. I mean, there's. I have a four disc collection of rundown studios cuts and stuff that sounds like shit, uh, but it was just a bunch of demos of stuff that Bob recorded with the band in that 77, 78 period. And there's some really amazing stuff on there. Um, Tyler Wilcox posted a, a version of Girl from North Country from 78 that was like all done on like a Moog or something or some sort of like very nice, like organ um, that sounded beautiful but super lo-fi so I don't know I hope there's more to come out of there because it's a really underappreciated crevice in Bob's long long discography I really like Senor a lot more these days I just want to reiterate that See, I think you, maybe, you, maybe it's you more, have been sleeping on Senor for yeah, a long it's, time yeah it's not my favorite but I, I think what's so good about it is to go on a tangent is that it's actually like on a record that is dealing with like the aftermath of a uh, of a marriage breaking up, in some ways, mm-hmm. it actually it feels like a um, very sad song. Uh, it's sort of I think really a poignant, a poignant and effective way of uh, dealing with these feelings of like the desolation after a relationship, right? Without actually making it about that in any obvious way. I guess that's true. Yeah. The way that he's like ta- the imploring this uh, senior, it's like it's like a man in another country and he doesn't know uh, where he's, you know, where am I headed? What's going on? Like how long am I going to have to be in this wasteland? Yeah. Yeah. And and point. the way that he like 
milks that line sometimes in live shows, especially is great when he's just like, Senor, Senor, Senor. Uh, so that's why I, I would say Senor. Give it another look. Yeah, you should probably pay a little more attention to the lyrics on that one next time I give it a spin. Uh, what do you got? Nine. Nine? I have... Some sort of acronym that you might not be able to decode right now. Well, I might want to switch these two around. You I see? see. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to switch the two around on, on okay. the fly. You go. See that 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 that's the that this was the these lists on paper were where they were 15 minutes ago when we wrote them down. Now you can see in reality, in real time, it's being adjusted. These are living, breathing organisms. Jeez, but I feel like maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna say that my number nine is uh, rough and rowdy ways because that's what I put first here. Number nine, <laughs> still pretty good on a on the top ten out of. Like almost forty records. Thirty so, nine albums. Yes. Uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Obviously, it's a, a wonderful and a, a amazing achievement as an album. Um, I feel like now I have to say why it's not higher. Almost, <laughs> uh, but there's something about uh, a, a another record that I think is a little bit more my platonic ideal of a later period Bob Dylan record. Sure. Rough and Rowdy Ways, though, just to talk about why it's great, because that's why it's on here, is um, uh, I think it's a it's a very deep, deep record that has a lot of... Um, it, it, without even... It's just somehow I think of it as a very meditative album. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always sound meditative, um, but it, I think it is like hard to listen to it without coming back to these... Big, deep, broad themes about existence and life and um, meditative lines such as the size of your cock will get you nowhere. Well, you really think about that. It could be that he's saying it's not small enough. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I have. I'll just uh, tag along for this one because I have Rough and Rowdy at eight on mine, which is where you were just debating putting it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a record that we've we're gonna come back to. I think we need to do it a little more justice uh, with another full deep dive, and I want to definitely spend some more time on Murder Must Foul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think just like each song has only kind of grown in my estimation since the record came out a year ago. Key West obviously is a real like just stunner. Uh, Cross the Rubicon, incredible song. I really want to hear him play that live, even though it doesn't seem like that's happening on. Um, Shadow Kingdom, um, and then uh, uh, I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Maybe the greatest love song that he's ever written, as far as I'm concerned. Wow, I mean that's crazy to say. That's big to say, well, but I would say that it, it, a case can be made. And another thing, just to touch on it, there's like a depth after you reach a certain point with late period Dylan. It's like certain things are just. Uh, it's so it's going to be so saturated in um, vibes and in, in uh, so many different layers of experience coming through right that it stops being um, I don't know it'd be crazy not to just like it, it can't be bad it's yeah just, I mean the gra- can't. yeah there, there's like a gravitas to rough yeah. and rowdy ways and to tempest and to modern times and to love and theft but especially rough and rowdy ways because it's the latest and it happened when he was the oldest that just wasn't there on earlier records and so it's almost like it's a you know we talked about this before he's like a he's 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 more than just a, an artist at this point he's a spirit he's a like a geist or something that exists beyond and above himself. Um, or he, he is a he is a regular man, but he is able to access a uh, I think yeah decidedly not regular way of being in his art. There's just there isn't another person on the planet who can make a record like that at this point in time, uh, and there probably never will be. No, it's just his own personal journey and sort of uh, mining the American soul, uh, which is probably something a lot of people say. But uh, in both cases, uh, actually happens to quote the line in. Um, song on uh on together through life uh, he's got the the blood of the land in his voice mm, mm-hmm. or something like that something like that mm, excuse me um number nine on my list time out of mind 
I don't really feel like there's much more to say about Time Out of Mind. Go listen to the Rado episodes. Uh, I think we, we laid it all out right there. Mm-hmm. It's just a great record with a bunch of great songs. Dragged down here and there by a couple kind of bluesy bullshit numbers. But at the end of the day, it's still a great record. Yes. So where am I at? Number eight? Number eight. Uh, number eight for me, Self Portrait. There you go. Uh, I think that self-portrait uh, has to be on my top 10 list um, because, and I, I'm honestly, part of me wants to put it higher, but I, I think that I love what Number it Number eight's rep- pretty high for It's it pretty high. What, I re- what it represents, I think, is almost as much, uh, I love that as much as I love the music. And, um, right, right. I love that it is a um, break from from tradition... From like someone's own, from the expectations that were that were laid upon him, sure. And it turns into a, um, I mean, Nashville Skyline is like that too. But Self Portrait was the one that like it. There had to be a violent move to to really bust that door open, right? And Self Portrait is kind of like, just so fascinating to me as something that is, uh, like a violence by being. A pacifist in his art, like he by, beca- by covering the he, boxer and copper kettle. He decides not to be be violent, basically, and to do something that is uh, that I I think at its best, like the way that this record makes me feel and the way I, I feel about it. It's like um, it just feels like wow, and other things are possible. You don't have to do the most traditional um, dramatic gesture. Like you don't have to be some kind of a hero or villain this is just kind of a um uh it makes me think about time differently in a way it's like <laughs> like you don't have to like spend every record thinking about like well i have to make this the biggest statement like it's it makes me feel like wow maybe you you can relax maybe you can be more um dreamy or you can be more uh more uh, what's another word for relaxed? Uh, chill. Chill. <laughs> you can you can be uh, more less high strung in your art, and um, I think that's good. Yes, yeah. Self portrait sort of uh, reminds me of where I'm at in my life right now. You know, the, there's there's time enough in your life where you can just kind of like be okay, being okay. Just yeah. Be okay, vibing and like taking a breath and enjoying each day as it comes. Seeing the sunrise, drink a cup of coffee, hang out with people you like, go to sleep in a nice warm bed, what, rinse and what, repeat. What more is there to life? And the other thing is, like, a lot of people who are in his position um, or a similar position of being like a big time rock and roll star, uh, they act like they they aren't able to enjoy their you know palatial mansions and their beautiful wives and families right, and right. all of the pleasures of. Uh, fame and fortune and this this record doesn't pretend to be anything uh it doesn't pretend to to be some suffering uh missives from like a tortured mind it's it's just where he was at he's just having a good time all the tired horses in the sun how am i supposed to get any riding done yeah i kind of like to think about that as like a Oh, all the tired, all the horses are so tired. Guess I can't. Guess I can't ride them. Yeah, I guess I can't Oops. make another blonde on blonde. Yeah, oh, I guess this is what my you horses get. are too tired. I <laughs> Little can't. Sadie, <laughs> I would do another, uh, you know, uh, another record that'll make you be mean to people for not getting it. But uh, my horses are tired, so here we go. Days of forty nine, <laughs> in the days of old, in the days of gold. Yeah. But that takes place right here where we are in San Francisco. That's true, yeah. We are in the city of the 49ers. The days of 40... The city of 49ers. <laughs> um, all right. My number eight, Rough and Rowdy Ways, we just talked about. So we'll swing it right back to you, number seven. Modern Times. Wow. This is one that I had in my top ten, but I, I, rem- I dropped it down for a slot so I can get Street Legal in there. Yeah. Um, but it's a good record. That's a fair choice, but... Uh, I think that this record is. Um, it, I, I just love that it, it, it's it's such a high quality record in every way. There's no like you get so much out of it. Like uh, it's just chock full of 
good stuff. I don't know what else to say. Like it's um, it's just a sophisticated and really like S tier record album for adults. Yes, and I like that more. That's the kind of thing I want to listen to more and more. Is music that is about life and living and uh, has has something to say sometimes and has uh, has something simple to say some other times. I imagine modern times like the the like kind of life energy that goes along with this is like you get in your your Mercedes Benz S class and drive to the Barnes and Noble at the Westlake Promenade. Yes. And you go to the C D section and you find modern times there and it's in one of those you know those plastic things like those where it's yeah, like kind those, of tall the long CD the long CD plastics and it's 21.99 yeah and you you pick it up and you take it to the cashier and you spend 21.99 on this CD and then you go back into your Mercedes S class and put it into the CD changer your 6 disc CD changer and then you drive down the canyon the Canyon Canyon yeah and uh, and then you wind up at the beach and the sun is setting and you're having a great time, and then either uh, you know you go back home and continue living your life, or you just kill yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, you don't kill yourself. But this record is a—it's one that you wouldn't regret spending twenty dollars on. I—I I mean, like, I just is such a—if feels stupid being like it's a great value but it is <laughs> this is just like a record that if you aren't planning on getting a car for a, another car and your, your current car has a cd disc drive keep this one in there and you're gonna like yes, yeah, not yeah, be yeah. upset this one, that this is stuck in your disc drive. absolutely yeah this is only if you only got six choices and this is in there for nine years that's that's a great choice and the the song when the deal goes down i think is just straight up one of the best songs uh he's ever wrote Fantastic song, Nettie Moore for my money. Nettie Moore also number amazing. one on there, but there, yeah, there's some real just extraordinary songs on this record. Uh, Spirit on the Water, as we yeah. talked about, Working Man Blues. That's my least favorite one on there. Wow. Well, shows what you think about the Working Man. Well, it's still good. I still like the I like the Working Man. <laughs> uh, it's a great record, and I love to listen to it. You know what I don't like about the Working Man's blues? Hmm. It's I don't like to think about the Working Man being sad. No, yeah. well. You know, some of us are willing to face up to reality. The fact that you need to put on your boots and your shoes. You <laughs> put on my boots and shoes. <laughs> um, that was seven? Yeah. That was seven. We'll go to seven for me, and this is one I think that appears on your list a little higher, mm. uh, a little bit later. Uh, that would be the great, the first album that we talked about here on Joker Room Podcast, John Wesley Harding. Yeah. It's... um. Well, it, it's higher for me. Where do you have it on yours? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. So let's you tag along on this one. We can we can tag team this because it's pretty pretty high for both of us. It's a great record. It's a great record. It's a super unique record, and really kind of the only one in his entire discography that is like that. Because I I think what Stephen was talking about when we talked about him Nashville and self portrait and New Morning all kind of being of a piece, which we actually see on. Uh, on Bootleg 10 on another self-portrait which contains material from all three of those sessions but no John Wesley material it really is just this like singular moment in time that doesn't really have any relation to what came before or after or it does have relation but it was he didn't pursue this sound any further and it was just kind of a, a momentary stroke of genius and yeah. moved on to the next thing it's a singular uh, version of that I mean you do have songs like Down Along the Cove and I'll Be Your Baby Tonight which, right, which wouldn't be out of a place further on uh, Nashville. they but could the, definitely be on Nashville but the sound of the record yeah, in terms well, of the it's, band it's like similar material that sort of country style those two songs in particular wouldn't be uh, ill at ease on Nashville Skyline or Self Portrait but the way that they're executed, yeah, it makes it like this very specific suite of songs that is um, just so poignant and uh, mysterious and feels kind of like a, like legendary in, in some way. It just like it's has a, this fable-like quality. It's a record, I think, that like as opposed to Blonde on Blonde, which it follows immediately and which is a great record that appears even higher on both our lists obviously but uh blonde on blonde you get to the end of it me at least i don't want any more like i i listen to blonde on blonde true. i've had i've had my fill i'm good john was a hard i get to the end of it i want to go back to track one i want to start it all over again it leaves you wanting more 
That's uh, so true. Because it's such yeah. a short, simple record. These songs, so many of the songs are so short and, and to the point. You know, Bob talked at the time about trying to hone each and every word that he was writing and be as precise as possible that, so that he was saying as much as he possibly could with the fewest words that, that he um, could possibly summon, you know, kind of contra what he was doing before. Um, there's still so much kind of mystery and like um, just it's like meat to chew on uh, with, with a lot of these songs. As I Went Out One Morning, I think, is such an extraordinary track. Um, yeah. and, and it's 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 sort of haunting almost. I think it's it's this just like absolutely beautiful little nugget of music that's also just like extremely fucked up about as far as I can tell, you know, slave attempting to make her escape, and Bob as the narrator, this kind of cold-hearted traveler, brushing her off. Um, it's such a weird, just kind of out of nowhere turn from this guy who was writing songs like Absolutely Sweet Maria a year before. Um, but signals so much about the direction that he's going to come, kind of tapping into and tuning in with this, like, fucked up American kind of legacy um, that uh, exists just beneath the ground all across this nation. The the song for me on that, uh, on John Wesley, is uh, I Pity the Poor Immigrant. I right. think that's my favorite song, which has, uh, I, I just find it, like, so, yeah, so haunting and... Um, stirring emotionally it's like this really particular mix of um of, i mean pity obviously as in the title but also like compassion um and it, it it's strange i mean it's like a weird it's a perspective that probably could get you in trouble if you didn't articulate it well <laughs> like uh, the idea of like this immigrant who is as i interpret it kind of ruined by by uh, misguided ambitions somebody yes. who wants to be a part of this uh of basic of america uh ostensibly or some ideal of success and is ruined by it and becomes uh, a bitter and uh ravaged you're just another victim right and uh I think the song just with that like mournful uh, harmonica. It's uh, and but it's it's not like a sad sounding song in some ways. Yeah. It's, it's such a particular melancholy that I, I I think is just like harnessed perfectly. Yeah, he's really kind of in tune with a lot of um, you know fucked up sort of personalities on that record um well, it's, both it's universal and... though, that song i think like the immigrant is uh you could read that literally but it's kind of just like anybody who who buys the the, the bad dream right yeah there's the immigrant there's the renter you know dear landlord there's the drifter uh that's a slightly happier tale there um there's you know the uh the Joker and the Thief. There's Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. There's all these like he, you know, he's he's tapped into this very like concrete and real American kind of existence with some of these songs. But he's also it's kind of completely like ephemeral and elusive. Yeah, this it's magical like this spirit world in of, some other realm. It's like the spirit realm of the American West. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really impressive record and one that was made by a twenty. 20- Six-year-old, I guess, right? Because it's 41, and it came out in 67. Yeah. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. 26. It's old you are. Read your Bible, and you'll be able to make music <laughs> like that. Uh, so that was my number seven, so back to you, six. Highway 6, D1. Oh, wow. Is that is that why you did that? No. No. Um, it's the album Highway 61 Revisited. Highway very, 61 Revisited. Very good album. Not familiar with that one. What's on that? Um... Let me see. <laughs> like a Rolling Stone. Oh, okay. Um, I think I heard that in a Levi's commercial once. Yeah, pretty pretty good song. Uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a great record. <laughs> I, I I don't. Anyway, but I mean, this is what this is what y'all come to Jokerman podcast for, folks. Great insights such as Highway Sixty One is a, a great record. To be fully honest with you, it's a record that's like contains songs that are so great, but also has some that I don't care about as much. Which like, ones? Like uh, from a Buick Six, I don't like. Yeah, from a Buick Six is fun. It's good, you know. Um, it's a. I I think it's in some ways. 
it's all it's all great but i i don't know about you i think of this as sort of his like the poppiest of of those three of the big three ones uh, uh, poppiest I desolation do. row tombstone blues well desolation row i mean like i mean all these songs are like i i i, I kind of understand what you're saying but like the songs on this record are fucking long. Rolling Stone is like six minutes. Tombstone Blues is like almost eight. Yeah, but it's Row more like, like the form and the texture of it. Anyway, yeah. it's a record I can't have much lower than right. six. So there it is. Yeah, and, and I'll tag along. And this is three for me. It's got my single favorite song of all time, like Rolling Stone. Uh, you know, not not breaking any new ground with that. But that is really just kind of the the fucking you know snare at the beginning of that absolutely blasts you into new dimension the first time you hear it um i think it might be kind of like the, the perfect record from those three from from bring it all to yeah. blonde on blonde not my favorite it's maybe album. the most balanced the most balanced the most kind of like like he's not it's not shaggy and kind of like that's weighty, what i mean like blonde on blonde compared but to also, those other two it's the pop one right yeah it's it's i think the most well fully realized of those three which you know is not to say that it's it's the the uh favorite of ours because it isn't actually number one on either of us but it really is just kind of i think immaculate from beginning to end queen jane absolute yeah. stunner um Desolation Row also, I think I've, I've only grown to appreciate more since starting this. That, that was never really one of my favorite songs of his, but since since beginning this yeah. and, uh, and like going back to it again and again and again, it is really kind of coming through for me now. That one version of Desolation Row from uh, the uh, MTV Unplugged right. is actually, I think, my far and away my favorite version of it, beating out the album. Wow. At least the best one I've heard. Wow. I just think it's like... It's not the MCR version. I want to listen to that one more these days. (laughs) The MCR version. I'm talking about ones Bob did. Oh, yeah. Which are all secondary to the MCR version. Naturally, yeah. Uh, That was six. Mm -hmm. Six to me. Love and Theft. I'm glad you included it. What a great record. It didn't come up on mine somehow. Not in your top ten. But it, like... Look, it might as well be. I love Love and Theft so much. I love it too. It's such a perfect kind of, you know, to kind of, it, it, I actually see it kind of as a continuation of John Wesley, not necessarily in the like way he was writing lyrics or anything, but this like, he, he's so clearly tuned in to the spirits of America on this record. And there's also something like deeply resonant about the fact that it comes out on September 11, 2001. Yeah. Um, but where John Wesley, Bob's kind of tapped into all these American archetypes, right? The slave, the drifter, the immigrant, the renter. Uh, on Love and Theft, he's tapped into all these American music styles. He's got the mm-hmm. perfect kind of folk rock song in Mississippi. He's yeah. got these kind of crooner tracks with Moonlight and Floater. He's got the kind of like big, awe-inspiring kind of rock epic with uh, Honest, Honest with, with me, me or with uh, High Water. He's got these kind of like weird um, unsettling songs. Yeah, Twiddly D. Uh, I should have put it on. I mean, it's just, on our top ten. It's, it's on, on the, the Jokerman top ten. Exactly. So. And, it's, um, it's just such a rewarding record and so thrilling to hear him hopscotch from one genre and and um, songwriting style set of lyrics from song to song to song. He's all over the place on this record. Um, it's just, it's, it's thrilling to me. And whereas like time out of mind and modern times feel so of a piece, every song on both those records really feels like it belongs on that record. This one is like, you know, each individual song could come from a different record with nine other songs that sound like that song, uh, but they're all smashed down into this one. Um, and kind of as the first appearance of Jack Frost, uh, you know, it's really when Bob, I think starts... It's feeling begin- like he's yeah. capable of being, or I guess no, the Jack beginning Frost of the Jack Frost uh, era, really. Yeah, the, the first solo. Jack time Frost out of mind was a <laughs> Daniel Lanois production in association with Jack, Jack Frost, Frost Productions. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I mean, I'm glad that you picked Love and Theft, and so I could have Modern Times on here. Perfect. Yeah, because um, they both appeared. They they're both equally to be on me. Equally good to me. Yes. Um, man, uh, Love and Theft is just like such a understated record in some ways like it's so um i i I just love the way it looks i love the album cover i love like the everything surrounding it yes how it's so like it it feels so uh 
natural. And I think it really is like, I, we, we got into an argument or I got into like a conversation, someone who's bitching at me on Twitter about, um, oh, like you think that love and theft is the beginning of late period Dylan right. or versus like the song, uh, um, it's not dark yet, not dark yet. Right, right. And I was like, yeah, because this is the dawn of like the Jack Frost era, really, yeah. in, in full. And to me, that is the Dylan that like is really him. He's found everything that all the pieces are together. Yeah. He doesn't need anybody helping him to figure out how to make it, it sound good. Like it sounds right. Yeah. This is all there. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think Time Out of Mind, you know, a lot of people think of Time Out of Mind, Love and Theft, Modern Times is the trilogy, but I almost think of Time Out of Mind at this point, similar to John Wesley, where it's like it's this momentary, singular, one off kind of revitalizing yeah. moment. And then he goes in a completely different kind of direction after that. Love and Theft, Modern Times, and really I guess before, uh, together through life and into Tempest. Yeah, and um, I think you can thank Daniel Lanois probably for making Time Out of Mind so successful at right. feeling like a true like late period masterpiece right. album when it if you're being a little picky maybe or if you're being us, you would maybe say that it's like a really successful uh album that he made in collaboration with like basically with another artist. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, with Daniel Lanois, like that is, it, it wouldn't be nothing of the same album without Daniel Lanois on it. They happen to get a really good mix, but um, it's not, it, it just doesn't have that pure uh, straightforward, n- no frills quality that I think really makes uh, love and theft like, something that ages beautifully yeah beginning at love and theft and up until today bob like every bob record is a record that bob wants to make and like it's not compromised it's not impacted by outside forces like he when he wants to do 30 songs of sinatra covers he's gonna fucking do 30 songs of sinatra he covers. sure does um time in a mind is not that record uh it's still a great record it is a great record uh, but yeah. it's uh yeah i mean i i distinctly do think that this beginning here and and especially the fact that like the um the 2001-ish era like the early 2000s incarnation of the Neverending Tour band uh, I think is like kind of universally regarded as like the hottest kind of collection of players together with Tony and Charlie and stuff mm-hmm. um that like it's um it, like that is that is the moment in time I think where this this latter day period really kind of does kick off so. I, I do also have to think about like I, I think a lot about the early 2000s, like pre-9-11, I mean, just like 2000, and, and stuff that came out in, say, 2001, or right. that was like, kind of uh, an interesting point. We I, It's crazy that we, you never get to see what would have happened without, like, the traumatic events of that year, and that, like, the whole epoch changing, right. but stuff that came out in 2001, or was, like, conceived in, the, in 2000, is, uh, or 99 even... It's interesting because it's like people kind of like certain artists sort of like uh, seem to be going, okay, well, where do we go after like the postmodern 90s? Like, right. Where we've already like, we've deconstructed everything and made it everything kind of ironic and like self referential in the late 90s and uh, or kind of have this ironic sense of cool and whatever. What, what, where do you go from there? And I think Dylan is really forward thinking and just going like, well, instead of like on Time Out of Mind making music that's sort of, he's inspired by the sounds of the past, I will just kind of like make music that's uh, literally using the the raw materials of the music from the past. Sure. Like I'm not just going to make, I'm not going to put my voice through an effects thing that makes you think about an old radio. I'm going to use a... a a band who knows how to who lives and breathes that old music right, right. and make original work from that point on sure yeah from that pers- from with that toolbox absolutely yeah and he is was then and still is today maybe even more so like kind of the only person who could bring this into reality at this point there people the, uh, other recording artists just don't have the appreciation for or the knowledge of or the kind of spiritual connection with all of this you know, kind of great American material 
that comes from Appalachia and the South and, you know, the Northeast and, and the Midwest, just all over the place, you know, the, the, that's kind of that, 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 that like geist or spirits uh, element to Bob, I think, um, that makes him so unique um, in, uh, in our world. Uh, five, what do you got? Number five, Shadows in the Night. Oh boy. <laughs> So pretty high for shadows in the night. It's really high, but you said you have a rationalization for this. Well, the rationalization is not that complicated. It's really just that, like, wouldn't it be like it's, it'd be boring if we did obviously like, the, the most <laughs> obvious choices? And also, I feel like we need to sort of shift the uh, conversation a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm thinking a lot about how Bob Dylan in the press release for. Um, Shadow Kingdom. We we don't know exactly what this means yet, but he said it'll be from early in his career, songs from early career songs. And um, at this point, so like the song in the the teaser for that is from 1970. 1970, 71, yeah. So uh, watching the river flow. You need to like I think as a all Bob Dylan fans should just sort of reflect on what could that mean? Was early career mean? It doesn't mean. Like he's had such a big career now that early can be a lot later than you might think. Early could be "I'll Remember You" from 1985. Yeah, that's relatively early <laughs> compared to where we are now in 2021. "Shadows in the Night" is like a late career album that has nothing to do with the the time it came out. It has nothing to do with his career. It's music from a much older time, and. Yeah, when it came out, it was like this is the new thing that Dylan is doing. So I, I just felt like it was a, a really uh, amazing way to get these songs back into people's heads, and um, I think it really works for me. And I think they are, they're songs that I think the execution of are, it's just like timeless, totally perfect, in its own way. He found a way to do these songs, and then like did a ton of them. Shadows in the Night is just the best example of a, a good collection of those, I think, for, for most people yeah. to just check out. But um, it, it just sort of goes to show that like time doesn't really work in, in Bob Dylan world like it does anywhere else. Like These songs that, are, that were written in the 30s and 40s, uh, he decided to do them because he felt they were as relevant as ever. And if you listen to them, they, they are, you know. I dare, like how do you listen to Lucky Old Son and not feel like uh, that that yearning is just like an, a timeless feeling that that's what I'm saying nothing to do but roll around having all day uh, it's really rambling and annoying way of putting it <laughs> of justifying I think the one I, I love Shadows it's not my top ten it's my favorite of the the latter day Covers records, certainly. I think it's the tightest package and most cohesive record. Um, and I'm excited to get to those actual episodes when we'll have more to talk about on each song. But one appreciate or one element of Shadows, I think, that should be appreciated, and really this whole era is like the still the continuing ability of Bob to completely confound expectations and the press in particular, even into you know, his fifth or sixth decade of being a recording artist. Like, yes, everyone by 2015 knows, like, Bob Dylan is going to fuck with you. He's going to do his own thing. He's going to do what you don't expect him to do. He's going to come out of nowhere with something totally weird or brilliant or both. Uh, but, you know, even even by then, like, you have to expect that. And so, how, like, how can he possibly... How can he possibly do something that he hasn't done before and confuse people and fuck with them? And he still finds he's, a completely he's not trying brand new to, way to do it. But he's, he's not, not trying, trying to, to do, do that. that. It's just like, I, I mean, the thing that got me about the album, like on an emotional level, was like in the interviews he did he did around this time, talking, he said something about these songs are just for like the man on the street. <laughs> like, I just, like, these are just like for regular, regular for people. regular people. Yeah. And yeah, it, all it, the regular people listen. Well, maybe the regular but, people from like 1953. No, but I mean, it forces you to think about like, well, like, are these songs relics? Do they, are they completely drained of meaning? And they're not. They're like, they are just, uh, they're still like, I think aspirationally romantic. And they, they make you think about like the sensitivity to the moonlight. These are like beautiful little songs that I, I just think the execution is genuinely 
timeless and yes. really will go down as some of the best versions, if not the best, of many of these songs. Yeah, I think the execution it's, is absolutely... It's amazing. not like just an artist an artist doing old songs as like a lark. Like I think that he, what he did with this was perfect a lot of these uh, in some ways. Like, yeah. And I dare you to just go back and listen to them and, and not be moved if, if you listen with the right attitude. Like, these are... I love how simple they are. I mean, how, how um, stripped down to just like the purest essentials. Like the way that like this, the pedal steel acts as like the, instead of like huge swelling strings on all right, of them. Right. There's kind of a more Over reserved. An accordion. Yeah, there's just like a more kind of. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of the Shadows of the Night with an accordion like together through life. <laughs> we're, not, we're not have the same vibe. I, I just wanted to put it pretty high on my list because. I think it will go down as some of the best, uh, just the best interpretations of like the classic American songbook that exists. I think you were probably ahead of the curve on the appreciation on that, uh, and uh, it's a great record. I love that kind of music, and uh, it's yeah, the the way that it was done. I think, I think it's impossible for these not to age. Yeah. Well, my number five little record called Blonde on Blonde. Number five. <laughs> Care to explain yourself to the <laughs> listeners? Yeah, I mean, this is one I think that we've talked about before. Uh, it's a record that I just, I don't have a, I mean, listen, it's number five. It's pretty high. I mean, I'm not trying to grill you on this. Number five, pretty high. But it's it's one that just doesn't have the, it doesn't have a baby balloon, it doesn't have a, a rolling stone for me. Uh, Blonde and Blonde is a record I appreciate, you know, just like a woman, uh, sooner or later, rainy day women, sad eyed lady, um, uh, fourth time around, maybe my favorite song on the entire record, absolutely immaculate, just beautiful. But none of them have that same kind of like just individual like just pierce me to the heart kind of ability that, that I want you. I want you's good, it, but it's good. You One know? of us must know. I that's I know. Visions of Joanna. I, I know Joanna. Uh, Joanna is is a really you kind know. Of I I do actually spectacular. Sort of, I get a feel. I I think I know what you're saying. Like about it not being. I get why you didn't put it at the top. I mean, when we get because there's only four other records above this at this point, and when I look at the four, for me, they're sure. all four that just have this like kind of like this this iron grip around my heart, and like I I they're they're more than music to me at this point, and this is still something that like right you know it's it's obviously one of the greatest records of all time, and it just filled top to bottom. Well, with then I I will put I will just get put throw my hat in the ring. It's it was my number one on the list. Here you go. But I also understand what you're saying. I think for me, I it's almost like I just had to like I have to do it out of respect <laughs> because this song, this uh, this album has so many songs that like just straight up like blew my imaginative life like uh, a new asshole. So like I I have to like it just completely opened up my eyes about like what the what, what this whole thing is the music the, the idea of music and stuff like that um it's so emotionally like uh outrageous this album um it it really has like extremes of emotion all the way through it and i discovered it for myself you know at like a, a perfect age probably i was like 16 sure. or 15 or something so it was also connected to me in a lot of... I, I connected it with um, sort of ideas about, like, New York in the 60s and the 50s and just sort of this, like... Uh, you know, it's proto... It's pre-hippie. So it's just, like, something about that period of the early 60s has mm-hmm. always been, like, really fascinating to me. This this period where the, the 50s are becoming unmoored, but there isn't, like, a one style for anybody to grab onto yet into like there's no flower power uh easily uh understood sort of new aesthetic it's just like people starting to kind of wake up everybody's still sort of dressing the same you know you've got like still these uh 
pretty hardened ideals and uh, and and traditional ideas about like how you dress. You know, people are still like dressing up nice to go on an airplane, but like <laughs> there's just people who are starting to question and uh, act different uh, within that and these little subtle changes. And then this record is like there's just something so fascinating to me about like somebody who's not really trying to dress or like look like a peacock or like look too crazy although he's wearing those outrageous suits he's looking pretty pretty stylish it's still a suit you know what i mean (laughs) it's like it's it's like he's taking the everyday and just enhancing it in in ways that weren't even thought possible and that's like what the record is to me right it's like it is like a magical realism that uh, makes this record like sparkle and shine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can't. I, I'm not gonna argue with anyone who says Blonde Blonde is the best Bob Dylan record because that is a very commonly held opinion. I think maybe the the consensus opinion, and I understand why. Uh, it just doesn't. It hasn't uh, pierced me the way that the only three other records on the list above it have. Uh, which is, uh, you know, fine. Still pretty good. Yes. We'll get there on Patreon soon enough. We're going to have a lot to talk about on that one. What do you got? Number four. No, We already mentioned it's John Wesley Harding. John Wesley Harding. We got that. So we'll ping back to me, number four. Nashville Skyline, which you kicked it off with at number ten. We already did a little talking on that. I do just, you know, want to note that, like, I threw it all away has guided my entire life since I first heard it and fell in love with it. I really, I, I, something, this record to me is, is innately kind of tied to the third Velvet Underground record, which maybe has enhanced the, the appreciation for both of them. How so? I, I was just listening to them both a lot uh, at the same time when I was like 21 or you something. You VU? Uh, yeah, the, the Velvet, Velvet Underground, Underground, Candy Says. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I just, you know, uh, there's this like intense level of appreciation for both of those records, which are neither one of which are commonly thought of as you know the absolute heights of the band. Right, but then you've got uh, After Hours on the other one. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah. And it, there's something about like like Pale Blue Eyes and I Threw it All the Way. Yeah, I heard both of them at like the same moment in my t- in my life, and I was just going through. I was you know kind of becoming an adult at this moment in time, and they just kind of. They stenciled themselves on my brain. They do have that quality that makes them feel a little bit more than a than an album. It's right. like a text that you can go back to. It has kind of like a the, certain records have that where you 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 have like a prescriptive quality. There's like a it's like medicine music. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, it's just it makes you feel good. And I think your appreciation for self portrait. I, like I have a lot of the same yeah, feelings similar. for Nashville, uh, which, and I understand. Like I feel the same way about Self Portrait, but this is just this is the one for me with the songs. You know, just every single like the the cat from the Cash cover at the beginning to the uh, Nashville Skyline Rag second, and then you've got uh, I Threw All the Way, and then you've got Lay Lady Lay, and you've got Country Pie, and you've got Tonight I'll Be Staying Here with You. It's just like every single song is just so fucking. They're all so perfect, and I love the fact that it's 29 minutes long, and I love the fact that there's an instrumental, and I love the the way he looks on the cover, mm-hmm. grinning with this fucking hat. <clears throat> it's just it's such a perfectly kind of executed uh, little package, and it, it you know I don't know it, it's it's the first of these records that has really kind of just absolutely you know knocked me out emotionally. Yes. Nashville, Scotland. We love it, folks. Number three for you. For number three, I have uh, another nod to, uh, to to propriety and being modest, which I have uh, bring it all back home. Sure. Which I will I will admit now is my number one. Those of you who listen on Patreon are aware of that already. We just did two hours on this yeah. a couple days ago. Uh, it's a um, go subscribe. If yeah, you subscribe to the it. Patreon if you want to hear that. But. Uh, <laughs> It's like uh, Blonde on Blonde, which, you know, I could be convinced, you know, to take Blonde on Blonde off my number one uh, uh, some days, you know, but like I said, got to giving respect, one respect to Blonde on Blonde. Um, I'll bring it all back home. It's like, 
I, I think this one is probably the first. This was the first album that I heard. I mm. think, and um, it's it's just kind of like this amazing innocence and sense of discovery and um, and sense of loss of innocence that goes through it. Yeah, I mean, it starts with Subterranean Homesick Blues. It ends with Baby Blue, and in between you have Maggie's Farm and Tambourine Man. And it's all right. Yeah, so it's need, also need we say more. The other aspect of it, besides like the dreamy uh, sort of uh, mysterious quality and the poetic quality, uh, in the romantic side, it's it's like got all that rebelliousness too, and it's sort of like, uh, yeah, the sort of a universal rebelliousness where you're just sort of. I don't know. It's very hard to say concisely. Go, go, go! Subscribe on Patreon. There's a hundred minutes on it waiting for you there. Right. Number two, uh, or number three for me is Highway 61, which brings us to number two for you and number two for me. We've already talked about our number ones. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop in here first, and so we can save number two for you as the big show stopping finale. Some of you probably know what's coming already. Uh, Blonde on Blonde is my number two. Blonde on Blonde, uh, excuse me, Blood on the Tracks is my number two. Uh, Blood on the Tracks does not make an appearance in your top ten. No, it doesn't. Longtime listeners of Jokerman will remember the saga of Jokerman season one, one and two, when Evan uh, refused to award Blood on Tracks, Blood on the Tracks, the coveted third star, and it remained a two star record for him for quite some time. We finally got him to come around to that. At the end of God, season everybody's two. gonna hate me so much. Are you gonna take the take the third star away from it again? No, <laughs> I'm not. And but I mean, it's a record that I think uh, it came into my life. I had a whirlwind affair with it, and I don't want to listen to it much anymore. Right. Yes. Yeah. As we've talked about, it's it's one that you have to kind of be in the in the right mood and moment uh, in your life to kind of uh, engage with uh, you can you can pick and choose some of those songs you know um, you're gonna make me lonesome when you go I think buckets of rain those are ones that you can kind of yeah drop no, in and out there on. are ones that I listen to but as, but the as big, a heavy record I don't, are yeah tough to tough to handle on a daily basis but again for me I'm glad that you put it in obviously it's like in our combined talk it's on the tracks folks yeah. come on uh, we've only got one more to talk about well it's my number two it's your number two <laughs> It's um, it's one that we don't want to get too far into right now because we are going to do an episode on it in the near future. A series of episodes on yeah. it, presumably. Uh, it's Tempest. <laughs> I know that this is probably this is the worst possible case scenario. Going from why reminding people that I didn't give uh, Blood on the Tracks three stars <laughs> once, and then also just saying that Tempest is. On is number two on my list. Well, I mean, I'm going to be shat on like <laughs> forever, but I am doing this as a statement, as a protest, uh, because Tempest is a perfect Bob Dylan album. I mean, it's funny, it's it's gruesome, like I, it's it's romantic. It's about uh, it's all the colors of the wind. Yeah, it's a, it's like a, it's like Moby Dick, you know. That it book? is like Moby Dick. We'll have more to say soon. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it for us here today. Until next time. Wow, this is this is our hundredth hundredth uh, episode. Let's call it ninety nine and a half. Ninety nine and a half. We gotta wait. Episode ninety nine and a half. Ninety nine and a half. We gotta wait for the big uh, the big bad uh, Jokerman one hundred countdown uh, coming 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 soon to your podcast application of choice. Uh, when we're back, separated through time and space once again. But I'm glad that we could find something to do in person together Me while too. we have the moment. Me too, Ian. Jokerman. <laughs>